Melissa. Good morning, Brookside. Good to see everybody. Hope that you're, uh, <clears throat> hope you're having a, a great weekend. Well, as Melissa said, um, today we find ourselves in the, the last week of our, our series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I feel like it's kind of a bummer. Uh, it's been a great series, and I really enjoyed uh, walking through these different um, uh, books, uh, different chapters of the book of Matthew with you. Um, this week, as you know, or sorry, this sermon series, as you know, uh, has lasted 13 weeks, and uh, throughout the course of this series, what we've done is we've walked through the book of Matthew, chapters 5, chapter 6, and, and then last week, Pastor Steve started us in chapter 7, and we'll finish there today. And We called this series The King Speaks because in this address, what Jesus is doing is we find him in front of a crowd of people and he's giving these words that would be some of the most quoted, some of the most famous words that he would ever address a crowd with. And so it's the king standing before a crowd of people and he's addressing them and We've seen that Jesus throughout this series has tackled a number of different topics. We saw in, in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus talked in, about what, is, what are called the, the Beatitudes. And we learned in the, the Beatitudes what true salvation is, that it's not about seeing ourselves as righteous, but it's looking to Jesus Christ and saying, on our own we are completely unrighteous, but we are only looked at as righteous when we have Jesus Christ. We're unrighteous unless we have him. That's true salvation. I was challenged and I was impacted, particularly by chapters five and six, and, and we saw in those chapters what it means to live a life that's honoring to God. And, and Jesus, he went head on with topics like integrity and, and marriage and, and love and, and worry. Do you remember that sermon? And love and, and giving and, and fasting and prayer. And, and if you remember, throughout the course of the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing, he's giving us a portrait of, of what it means to live life in his kingdom what it means to live freely, what it means to live confidently and fully in Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you've enjoyed this series. I hope that the scriptures have really come to life for you throughout it. I'm really excited for our text this morning. The way that Jesus chose to end the Sermon on the Mount is pretty remarkable. People have asked me this week, hey, how's your study going? I've just said, Jesus is brilliant, like aha moment, you know. But it's brilliant the way that he ended this series, this sermon that he was giving. And so I've been praying this week particularly with a, a, I think with a unique burden I would say, that God would really come and that he would do something very powerful, that he would do a great work in our midst. And so even before we jump in, I want to ask you, would you pray with me and, and let's just go to the Lord before we start and just say, God, okay, we're ready, Lord, we're asking now that you would speak to us this morning. And so would you, would you pray with me? So Lord, we come to you this morning and um, we come from a lot of different places. Some have come and they've had a hard week. Others have had a joyous week. Um, on the spiritual front, there are people here today that are maybe new in their relationship with Christ. There are people here that are just searching out the claims of Christ. There are others who need a word of encouragement from you, a new word of, of even just hope and reassurance today. And Lord, we just want to ask that you would do that. We want to ask that you would speak with power, Lord, a fresh word to us, Lord. Thank you for your word. And so, Lord, we're asking you, and I, I just want to invite you even now, would you take a moment and would you just say to the Lord, Lord, my heart is open to you, and Lord, I'm asking you, now would you speak to me this morning? Would you allow me to have a word from you that I leave here and I know what you said to me? And so would you take just a second on your own and just say, Lord, my heart is open to you. Would you please speak? Go ahead and just on your own do that.
I think of Psalm 34. It says that the Lord hears his people when they call out to him. And so, Lord, that's what we do. We pray now, God, that you would do a great work in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Saturday morning, our family was headed to the northwestern part of Iowa to spend a day with some friends from college. And um, on the way there, we decided to take a little different route, and it would get us there a little bit faster, but it was a lot of different uh, little back roads. And so we were there all day, and about 7 o'clock, we got into the car to come home, and and by that time, it was very foggy, very foggy. Visibility was probably about 10 or 15 feet, and so needless to say, it was sort of an intense trip home. and I knew that I had three or four different turns that I had to make in order for us to get home. And I, I wanted to get it right. And, and I didn't want to get lost out in this thick fog. And so about 15 minutes into the, to the trip, this two and a half hour trip, we came to a, a fork in the road and we came to a sign exactly like this. You've seen these before? Now when you get to a, a sign like this, uh, it's pretty clear your options, right? They're, they're very clear. Left or Right. Now, as we approached this sign, though, in the midst of the fog, when I could finally see it, um, I wasn't sure which way we should turn. And Christina said, you know, I think, we should, I think we should turn to the right. And so I got up my phone. I wasn't really sure. And I'm starting to look at it. And, and as I'm looking at my phone, she said, I know we should turn to the right. That's the right way to go. I had a decision to make at that point, a particularly a, sort of a different decision now, right? <laughs> so I turned left. Uh, no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I turned right, and not to my surprise, she was right. That's your free marriage counseling for the day right there, right? (laughs) But when you come to a a sign like this, it's pretty clear. There's not a lot of guesswork, is there? In our passage today, Jesus takes us to a sign just like this on three different occasions. And he's making it very clear to us. He's saying, I want you to come to a place of decision. What we're going to see in the text is that as, as Jesus brings us to a place of decision, On three different accounts, in three different ways, he contrasts two different things. At first, we'll see as Jesus drives us to a point of decision, he's going to say, okay, you've got a choice between two different kinds of roads. And then we're going to see he drives us to another fork in the road, and he's going to say, okay, you've got a choice about what kind of of tree you're going to be in life. Will you be fruitful or, or won't you be? Will you be authentic or will you be inauthentic? And then lastly, the third fork in the road that Jesus drives us right to is he says, hey, what kind of foundation are you going to be? Are you going to be one that's like sand? Are you going to be one that's solid? He drives us to a point of decision because Jesus knows this, and this is why he so brilliantly ended this sermon the way he did. He drives us to a point of decision about the most important decisions that we will possibly face in our lives. Have you ever had someone say to you or, Or maybe you've said to yourself, and maybe you said it with a bit of anxiety, you said, ah, decisions, decisions, decisions. You ever been in that place? I was talking with a guy this week who was wrestling through some major decisions in his life, and he said, the decisions that I will make in the next few days, in the next few months, will affect my life for years to come. Many of you, you can relate to times in your life when you've been in those situations, The decisions that Jesus drives us to this morning are of that magnitude and even greater. Now, before we look at the words of Jesus, I want you to kind of skip down to the end of the passage. I want to take you to the very last two verses in this chapter. And these verses give us a lot of insight into what was going through the minds of the people that were sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus. It says that there's a crowd there and he's teaching to them. 
What was going through their minds, though, when they got up and they walked away from his teaching? What were they thinking? Look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. When Jesus left their presence, when the people got up and they walked away, know this, as Jesus was teaching them, they were not being lulled to sleep. They were not checking their watch going, I, I wonder if we'll get to go to lunch soon. I wonder if Jesus will hurry up and get finished. They weren't thinking those kinds of things as they sat there or as they got up and walked away. They were amazed. They hadn't heard anyone teach like this ever before. Jesus that day spoke to them about 2,500 words. Probably would have taken him maybe about 30 minutes. But as he spoke, this crowd of people, they had never heard someone teach so powerfully they had never heard someone teach with so much impact, so comprehensive, so many insightful words of wisdom. And not just about anything. These were about issues that would change a person's life, about life matters, huge ones. We also learned something important about what was going through the mind and the heart of Jesus by the way that he ended the sermon. It's very evident that the goal of Jesus' teaching, it wasn't that he wanted his people to walk up, he, walk away. He didn't want the crowd to stand up and go, wow, an amazing teacher he is. I, I, I didn't understand what he said, but it sounded really good. Amazing teacher. I wonder if he'll start his own church. They, they weren't thinking those kinds of things. That wasn't the motivation that Jesus had at all. No, Jesus, as he spoke to this crowd, as he looked into their eyes, he wanted them to be the kind of people that they would walk away and they would write a different kind of story. Jesus wanted them to know there's another way. Jesus wanted them to know that there was a different kind of life that was available to them. And since that was his desire, Jesus takes these people right in Matthew 7, right to a point of decision out of his love for them. I want to warn you as we get into this that this text is very sobering in a very healthy way. It drills as deep as deep gets and it's important for us to wrestle with what Jesus is saying so that we can be confident, so that we can be the kind of people that we would say in the most important decisions in life, I got them right. In the things that matter the very most, I made the right decision. We want to wrestle with what Jesus says this morning because we want to be able to walk away and say with confidence, I am an authentic, true follower of Jesus Christ. There isn't a more significant way that Jesus could have ended this sermon. Everything comes to a head in how Jesus ended it, and he takes this crowd of people that really, they could have been kind of passively listening to Jesus but by the end of the, the way that he kind of concludes, Jesus wanted them to leave and he wanted them to leave active. He wanted to drive them to a place of decision. What will I do with the words that Jesus has spoken? Let's look at the first of three decisions that Jesus drives to. The, and for each of these decisions, we'll start with a, a driving question. So here's the first one. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. Question number one. Will I travel on the right road? Look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Question 1, will I travel on the right road? Jesus says, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
the reality that Jesus is laying out here is that there are two roads and that every single person in this room, every single person with a heartbeat is on a path on one of those two roads. The controversial question that Jesus is bringing up here is, what road are you on? Where are you headed with your life? Where will the road that you're on, where will it lead? Where will it take you? Jesus makes it clear with this great analogy that your spiritual beliefs, they're taking you somewhere. They're leading you somewhere. Everyone is on a road. Everyone is headed somewhere. If you're here today and you would say that you're, you're checking out the claims of Jesus Christ and you want to know what Christianity is all about and, and you want to know, okay, who, who is Jesus? I've heard about him. Maybe you've been invited by a friend here today and you, you're just trying to figure out who is, who is Jesus very clearly you'll find out in the, in the text this morning. Let me say this also to you. You are very wise to examine the claims of Jesus Christ. I commend you for that. C.S. Lewis made this statement. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus says that there are many ways to God that are presented to us. There is a broad road. Our culture, modern thinking would say, hey, don't, don't try to distinguish between true religion and false religion. Just simply assume. I mean, if a person's intentions are good and a good person, just assume it's, it's okay, they're, they're fine. Just leave it alone. It's the message that all roads, all religions, all good intentions, all moral practices all lead to God. That while all these roads might be different roads, they're all going to the same destination. They'll end up in the same place. Yet Jesus, to the dislike of so many, he couldn't agree, disagree more. Instead of many roads going to one destination, Jesus very clearly says there's two roads. And one is going to one destination and the other road, the other of two, is going to a completely opposite destination. In Jesus' Jesus's economy, you are going in one of two directions. One of two directions. Not a real popular message, but it's one, isn't it, that it makes us kind of perk up and it makes us, it makes us tune in. Jesus is saying no one's on the fence. Either you're on this road or you're on that road. And Jesus says on the broad road, he says many people will travel on it. It's, it's the most common road. It, it's, it's, made, it's easy to travel. He said many people travel down. And then he said that there's a the other road, it's, it's narrow. And he said, very few people find that road. But those that do, that road leads to, he would say, that road leads to life. So the logical question, I believe, flowing from Jesus' statement is this. If there's just two roads, well then, what is the narrow way? In John chapter 14, Jesus answers that question directly. And he says, very, very, very clearly. I love the scriptures. There's not a lot of mystery Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is pointing people to a relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus does not say, hey, there are many ways to God. He doesn't. He says, no, that very clearly, he says, I am the way. I, I am the truth. I am the life. It's through me. Now question, does that mean that Christianity is rude? Does that mean that Christianity is disrespectful? Does that mean that Christianity is narrow-minded? 
the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're checking out the claims of Christ, read through the New Testament. Get your mind, get your heart in the teachings of Christ. And you'll see over and over that Jesus was not narrow-minded at all in the way that he loved people. He broke down all walls. Jesus was the type, the thief on the cross. What did he do with him? I mean, he's a great sinner. God never had entered into a church, but what did Jesus say? Hey, because of your faith, boy, I'll see, you, I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you with my father. What did Jesus do with the prostitute? He stood up for her. Jesus breaks down all walls. What is Jesus? Radically inclusive with his love. Radically. Remember learning in Matthew chapter 5, and when we come up against people that maybe have a different belief system than we do, how are we to respond? Jesus says, you respond with love. But note this, in love, Jesus the creator, he isn't leaving something up for debate, something that is so important, Jesus is not leaving it up for debate. And so in love, he's informing us, through me, there's life. There's eternal life in him. I think it's very important to to point out that while you might think that the narrow road is, is, is full of moral and, and upright and, and those sorts of people, it's also true that the broad road, the road that many travel, is filled with people that are moral, filled with people that are very upright and decent and, and very religious. But you know this as we've tracked through this series over and over again. We've seen that Jesus goes straight to the heart and Jesus is so unimpressed with outward religion, with outward morality. He's unimpressed with it. He goes straight to the heart. The narrow road is the road not of the religious, but it's the road of the person that says, my best acts of righteousness, like on on my best day, I fall short of God's glory. I'm in need of Jesus Christ. The person on the narrow road thinks little of their own righteousness, yet they cling to the righteousness of God. This is why the word gospel, it means good news, because it's clear, I mean, there's not mystery in this book. It's it's clear how we can have a relationship with Christ. You don't have to wonder whether you're measuring up. If you do wonder, maybe just ask the person next to you. They'll let you know you don't measure up, right? But you don't have to wonder in the scriptures, am I measuring up? You can know I don't measure up. And so what do I do? What does the the narrow road person do? They humbly cling to the cross of Christ. So Jesus answers the question. He says, what is the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The narrow road comes through authentic faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way of the narrow road. On this first point of decision, we come to two roads, One road is broad and it leads to destruction. And Jesus says many people travel down it. And then Jesus said there's a different road though. It's it's through faith in Jesus Christ. He said it's narrow. Not many people find it. Two, Two roads and it leads us to that place. Decisions, decisions, decisions. You and I have to decide are we on the right road? The first question, will you and I travel on the right road? The second question which leads to the second decision that Jesus wants us to make. Here it is. Number two, will I be authentic or will I be inauthentic? Will I be authentic or inauthentic? Do I really know him? Jesus in this section, he exposes the reality that not everyone who claims to belong to God, not everyone that even would say I'm speaking for God, actually does belong to God. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. And now Jesus, he illustrates, Jesus, master teacher again, illustrates his point. He says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now my kids, they love to eat grapes. And so imagine that we're out walking down the trail together and all of a sudden I see a thorn bush and my kids are up ahead of me in the trail and I say, hey kids, come on back here. Imagine if I said, hey kids, come over here. You guys are hungry, right? You like grapes, right? And they're like, yeah, we like grapes. And I said, look, there's a thorn bush. Jump in the bush and see if you can find a few grapes. I wouldn't say that, would I? When you think thorns, you don't think grapes, do you? Jesus is building to the strongest words that he's about to speak now in this passage. Verse 17. Verse 17, he says, likewise. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Imagine if up here on stage there was like a huge apple tree. I mean like the kind of apple tree that just luscious, red, ripe apples. And imagine if a year from now we brought that same tree up here. There's not a person in this room that would wonder, okay, it's year two. I wonder if that tree is going to produce pears this year. No one in here would wonder, okay, if we bring it up the third year, is that tree going to produce oranges? No, we wouldn't do that, would we? Jesus is driving home the point, the fruit of your life, it's reflective of who you are at the core. Are you authentic? Or are you inauthentic? The fruit of your life gives evidence to the authenticity of your faith, to the condition of your heart. Jesus gives more insight into this. If we, if we look at John chapter 15, Jesus says, I just love the words of, of Christ and how he taught. It just, you get it. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Again, Jesus is getting us back to the most important thing and he's driving his people. He's saying, I want you to, to come back to me. He's getting back to himself and he's saying, hey, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit and your life will give evidence that you have an authentic faith, that you have some realness to your faith. Let me ask you a question. Would people that know you, would they say, wow, they're just kind of Christian for show or would they say, yeah, they're the real deal. That's authentic. What you see is what you get. That who they are on the outside, that's who they are at the core. Jesus goes on and he gives some very sobering words starting in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are several things in these few verses that make the question, that make the decision, am I authentic or am I inauthentic? They make that decision really land with a lot of force. First, notice that when Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, on that day is referring to, to judgment day. 
Secondly, look at verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that throughout the New Testament, when someone would say of Jesus, when they would call him, when they would call him Lord, they had a recognition, that person had a recognition that Jesus was not just a good teacher. We know that if someone approached Jesus and they said, Lord, that that they weren't just the kind of person that was kind of trying to figure out who Jesus was. No, they were the type of person that really believed he was more than a good teacher. They believed he was more than a prophet. That they were the type of people that would say, Jesus is divine, he's the son of God, he's the creator. And on top of that, they don't in this passage just say, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. And in their context, that communicated a lot. If you said someone's name like that in their context, it communicated deep, heartfelt emotions. It's like when Jesus said, you remember this in the Gospels? Jesus said, Mary, Mary. Later when he said, Martha, Martha. Or when he said, my God, my God. It's heartfelt. These people aren't just flippant with their words. There's emotion there. They're saying, Lord, Lord. Yet these are the very people that Jesus says to them, I never knew you. It's sobering. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? I mean, know this about these people. They weren't just the the type of people that went to church on Sunday. These were the type of people that went to church all the time, all day on Sunday, never missed. These are the type of people they were serving. They knew the songs. They had the fish magnet. I mean, they were in the fold, right? But Jesus, know this. Jesus says this to them, so sobering. He says, I never knew you. You never knew me. Jesus is giving a strong warning against the danger of being inauthentic. It rattles me. He's warning us against what could be a very moral path, yet a path that isn't utterly desperate for Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. The tree that bears good fruit is the kind of tree, and, and here's the key word, that humbly looks at Jesus Christ and they look at their own life and they say, apart from Jesus Christ, no way, I am not righteous. My only cling to righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from him, no chance. With him, covered in him, no matter who I am, righteousness. Humbly they approach him. The first decision, will I travel the right road? The second decision, will will I be the kind of person that when I come to the fork in the road, will I have authentic faith or or would it be said of me, no, you're you're inauthentic, You're, you're sort of a fake. And then the final decision, the last question, here it is. Will I build on a lasting foundation? Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now the rock is referring to to, on Jesus' words. It's the equivalent of saying it's the kind of person that they built their life on obeying Christ. They looked at God's word and they said, that's what I'm going to build my life on. Verse 25, Jesus refers to the judgment that is coming. And so he describes it in 25. He said, again, he just 
pictorial teacher, he's just illustrating it for us. He said, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they, they beat against the house. Just picture that. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. What happened? The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds, they blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The picture here and the one that we see elsewhere in the Bible is that that wise people, they hear God's word and they obey it. That wise men, that wise women, they hear the teachings of God and they say, wow, okay, life might be rocky, but I'm building my life on something that's solid. I'm building my life on Jesus Christ. Have you ever known anyone like that? Things aren't going so well for you and you just think in your mind, okay, I can go to them because they they always seem to be just kind of sturdy in life, right? They've built their life on something solid. So Jesus is, again, he's not wanting just the, his, the people in the crowd to walk away and say, wow, Jesus, you're a great teacher. No, instead, Jesus, he drives his people out of love. He drives them to a point of decision. And he says now, he says, what kind of foundation are you going to build your life on? What kind of foundation are you going to build your life on a rock or aren't you? Know this, God's word provides a solid foundation. It, it doesn't change. It's the kind of foundation that it's, it's dependable. We get this description of the kind of life that results from the person that says, okay, I'm going to study this. I'm going to get God's word in my heart. I'm going to build my life on Jesus Christ. We get a picture of what kind of life that produces in Psalm chapter 1. Let me read this to you. Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now when you hear the word meditate, you might go, what's that mean? It's kind of out there kind of word, what does it mean? Sounds kind of hokey. What's it mean to meditate? It's very simple. It just means to think on. I mean, think about this for a second. Throughout your day, what do you do? I mean, God's given us incredible minds. We think about things. We process things all day long. The Lord's saying, hey, blessed is the person that they meditate on the law of the Lord. They do that day and night. And and then here's what it says about that person. He is like a tree that's planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does, whatever she does, it prospers. Why? Because they've built their life on the rock of Christ, on God's word. A blessed life, one that you'll look at and you'll go, I, I want that. Have you ever had anyone in your life that you just saw their life, you saw how they lived and you were like, man, it seems like whenever I need a word of wisdom, I go to that person. And when the more you think about it, you think, wow, it's, it's because they're like, they're solid. They, they, they have things to say because they, they've got God's word in their mind and in their heart. A blessed life is one that is on a solid foundation, on the sol- foundation of Christ. About a month ago, uh, Dan, uh, one of the guys in our men's life group, he told us an, a recent incident with his 13-year-old son, Elliot. And uh, their family had been putting things away for, for winter. And, and so Elliot was up above their garage in their attic and, and he was putting some different stuff away. And like most 13-year-old boys, he thought to himself, I'm up here, I might as well look around and do some exploring, see where the attic leads. And so he starts kind of walking around, and, and by this time he's off the plywood, right? And so he's just kind of walking. Any guys ever done that up in the attic, gals? Yeah? You know what that's like? And 
So he's up in the ceiling, of, up, in the, up in the attic, and, and his dad comes walking through the garage, and all of a sudden he hears, look at this picture here, he hears, hears that happening, right? Big hole in the ceiling. His son falls through that hole, lands on the car. Yeah. Now, the, the thankful part of the whole story is this. Elliot walks away with those for injuries. A little cut. You see that on his right arm? That's it. And a bruised elbow. That's all he walked away with. But it serves a pretty good point, doesn't it? Sheetrock, think about this for a second. Sheetrock looks really good on the outside. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, you walk into a house that's under construction and it's, it's just kind of bare studs. You would say of that house, you would say, this house is under construction. I'm not ready to live here, obviously. I wouldn't want to move in at this point in time. Now, you walk into a house that the sheetrock has been, it's been hung and it's been painted. And you would say, wow, this place is done. This place looks nice. The sheetrock is up. But let's be honest for a second. Sheetrock does not make a good foundation. It's not substantial, right? You build a house on wood, on timber, on steel. Jesus wants us to know that you can build your life on a foundation that is strong. And he's saying, you've got a choice. You come to a point of decision and either you will build your life on my words, on Jesus Christ, or you'll build them on something that's not strong. Just think about the nature for a second of the decisions, of the questions really, that the Bible answers. Think about this for a second. They're not sheetrockish at all, the things that we find in the scriptures. Scriptures tackle things like this. Who is God? Where did the universe come from? What is man? What is sin? What is redemption? What is Where is the universe heading? I mean, these are big things. These aren't like little sheetrock issues. These are bedrock issues. These are foundational things that the scriptures grapple with. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he gave us a warning. He said, each of you should be careful how he builds. He says, don't build on anything other than Jesus Christ. So I asked the question this morning, are you building on a lasting foundation with your life? Are you building on something that will last? Are you building on something that when the storms of life come, and you know they will, you might be in them right now, are you building on something that you'll have a solid foundation? Jesus drives us to a point, doesn't he? Decisions, decisions, decisions. The first one, Jesus says, okay, you're coming to the the fork in the road, and he says, what road are you going to go down? He said, there's a narrow road and there's a wide road. He says, wow, a lot of people, they go down the, uh, the broad road, the wide road, a lot of people travel it. He says, very few people, though, they go down the narrow road. Very few people find it. But those who do find the narrow road, he said, it leads to life. Then we face that next decision, and Jesus says, okay, what kind of tree are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of tree that, that you produce bad fruit, or are you going to be the kind of tree that you produce good fruit? In other words, are you going to have authentic faith, or are you going to have a faith that's inauthentic? It's just for show. It really doesn't mean anything at a heart level. Or are you the type that you would say, I humbly come before the Lord. I am desperate for you, God. I worship you, Jesus, because without you, I'm nothing. I'm lost without you. And then the third decision, Jesus drives us to the fork in the road and he says, hey, what kind of foundation are you going to build your life on? you got a choice. He says, one of two options. He says, we can do the sand. He said, when the storm comes, you'll see the ramifications of that. He said, or you can build it on the rock. You can be the type of person that as life hits you, you're, you're solid. You have a foundation in Christ. 
Jesus, the King, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the King has spoken, right? And he doesn't just want the crowd to walk away and think, good message, glad I came on Sunday. No, he wants the crowd to walk away and out of his love for them. I mean, think about this. He's looking them in the eye. He created them. He created you. And he's looking us in the eye and he's saying, okay, out of my love for you, I drive you to a point of decision. A friend of mine, Kyle, was telling me about this guy that he worked with uh, in high school and college, worked construction for this guy. And he said he tried to share Christ with him, but the the guy was resistant to the, the claims of Christ. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to hear about it. Well, Kyle heard years later that this guy was in the hospital and they were a distance away. And so Kyle said, hey, I wrote him a letter. And he said, it felt like God was telling me, hey, write this guy a letter, lay out the gospel. This guy was in the hospital. I mean, he's going to pass away soon. And so his family got, got his mail and said, hey, there's a letter from a guy named Kyle. Do you want us to read it? The guy said, yeah, I want you to read it. So he reads this letter and it's Kyle laying out the gospel and he's saying, hey, I know that you you were opposed to this when I shared it with you. He's saying, man, you're on your deathbed and know that, that I mean, eternity's at stake here. Which way are you going to go? And he's laying out the claims of Christ saying, hey, without Christ, it's not good for you. Eternity's at stake. So he lays it out and this guy, after it's being, done being read to him, <laughs> had a dream last night. And you just, it's amazing how God works, isn't it, sometimes? He said, I had a dream last night and because of that dream, he was ready for that letter. And he said, and got on the phone with Kyle, and Kyle said, you pray to receive Christ with someone in your family who's right there. And the guy did that. Guy passes away. And now when Kyle sees that family, I mean, they embrace him with a hug. Why? It's because the guy was at a decision point, and luckily, the Lord had mercy on him. And what did he, he was able to choose. Okay, I'm going to choose this path. I mean, I've got other options. I could continue to go down the same road I've always gone down. I could be resistant to the claims of Christ. Or in the most decision I could, most important decision I could possibly make, I could surrender and I could say, I choose the narrow road. C.S. Lewis was right. When we think about decisions of this magnitude, when we think about decisions about Jesus Christ, they aren't moderately important. What you do with Jesus Christ, it, it changes the trajectory of your life. Lots of times when when people are telling their stories, you'll hear someone say, maybe they're in their 30s, and, and they'll say with some dissatisfaction, they'll say, I didn't find Christ until I was in my 20s. Kind of like it's a bummer, you know? Or someone in their 60s will say, and you'll hear them say it with regret, they'll say, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I finally gave my life over to Christ. I've never heard anyone say, I wish I would have waited longer. I wish when I came to the point of decision, I would have chosen the broad road longer. I wish I would have been the kind of tree that produced bad fruit for a longer period of time. I wish I would have been the kind of person that I built my house on a foundation that caused me all sorts of issues throughout my life. Nobody says that. Instead, people that find Christ, they look back. I know this is true of me. Oh, I wish I would have followed Christ in high school. If I could go back, oh, long for that. People don't regret choosing Christ. They say instead, I wish I would have found him sooner. You know, might it be said of us, I mean, to the glory of God, from the youngest person in this room this morning to the oldest person, might it be said of us that we're the kind of people that when we get to the fork in the road, We choose the narrow path. Might it be said of us when we get to the fork in the road, 
We choose to be authentic, to be the real deal. Might it be said of us that we're the kind of people, Brooksiders are the kind of church that they're building their lives on a foundation of sand or, or one that's solid, that we would choose the one that is solid on Christ. Let's do this together as we close this, this series. Let's just pray and um, let's just ask the Lord for help with that. Let's pray together. Lord, the person that has been on my heart and on my mind all this week <clears throat> is the person that comes here today. And they don't know Christ. And uh, they hear a message like this and, and they hear your word, Lord, and <clears throat> they just know, okay, I have a choice to make. I can either choose a narrow road or I can choose the broad road. And, and if I choose Christ, many will not be happy with my decision. And, and there'll be times where I'll even think, wow, this is hard. But Lord, I pray today that you would give them the courage to walk the narrow path. I pray that today they would stand up and they would say, okay, I am taking a step on the narrow road because that road leads to life. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray you would give them grace. And if that's you this morning, would you even just cry out to God right now and would you just say, maybe you just say something like this. Say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I, I call out to you, though. I'm a sinner and I, I'm in need of your grace. I have sinned against you, but today, today I put my faith in Christ. And so, Lord, today I'm asking you, would you forgive me? And when you do that, Jesus Christ, he grabs a hold of you, and you can be confident. And then, Lord, for those of us that are here today, and we hear the words of this text, and, and we hear that about that crowd of people, really, the many that approach you, and they say, Lord, Lord, and you say to them, I never knew you. God, I pray today that we would be the kind of people that we would approach you and we would say, I want to be totally authentic. And so, Lord, I'm praying today that my heart would be soft to you and, Lord, that you would radically transform my life so that when I approach you, I can know, I can even leave here today with confidence knowing when I commit to you that you will look at me and you will say, as after I say, Lord, Lord, you will say, I know you. I know you. So Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for out of your love, how you finished off the Sermon on the Mount, how you drive us to a point of decision. Lord, we love you and uh, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.